0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange UK podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders to talk about industry passions and challenges they are facing. I'm Rose from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and I help businesses connect with top technical talent. And today, I'm your host. I'm joined today by a fantastic panel to discuss the topic, fostering success in engineering teams, overcoming challenges and cultivating continuous learning. Before we get into the discussion, I'd like to make some introductions. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Uh, sure. I, I'm, I'm Chris Bainham-Hughes. Uh, I am uh, the head of Open Innovation Labs at Red Hat uh, for NIA, so Europe, Middle East and Africa, Um, obviously working at Red Hat. Um, so at Red Hat, what we do is we sell sort of fully supported enterprise-grade open source products, uh, the sort of the software that you build your software on uh, generally uh, or build your software with and uh, in open innovation labs um what we do is we we really help our customers be successful with that technology because technology isn't really the problem the tech will do what you ask it to do um what we've see is um, what we've observed is is that organizations mainly have challenges around uh, the kind of uh, organizational uh, dynamics their uh, culture and their practices and so um you- you know, obviously you can go off and read about how to address those things or sort of search on the internet and sort of come up with those ideas but there's there's a big difference between knowing something and doing something with what you know and we're there to bridge that gap at open innovation lab so so we really help uh, our customers be super successful with uh, with our
2: technology and, and and others
0: all right thanks very much chris um neeraj would you like to introduce yourself
2: yeah hi uh, i'm Niraj goyal uh, i am engineering manager working for a major retail uh, slash e-commerce slash uh, grocery chain in uh, uk so i have been in uh, software engineering for past 16 years and i have spent a reasonable amount of time managing various engineering team on different technology stacks my passion lies in building very successful engineering teams so i i have spent a lot of time building the teams from scratch and then you know growing them maturing them to highly performing
3: team
0: uh, thanks very much niresh and on to mike
3: yep hi everyone i'm mike scaife i'm head of engineering at jaguar land rover here in manchester um, so you'll hopefully have heard of jlr as a company we make awesome modern luxury vehicles uh, my team here in manchester are make up our software engineering hub in the north so we build all kinds of systems such as um platforms that deliver software updates to our fleet of vehicles, to subscription management applications for some of our connected services and lots of exciting stuff like that. So cloud, DevOps, agile, all that good stuff. Um, in terms of my own background, so I've been in the industry for around 14 years, um, coming from a software engineering background to architect, engineering manager, now head of engineering and the real sort of passion for growing, mentoring and sort of creating successful engineering teams. So yeah, really excited to talk about this topic today.
0: Thanks very much, Mike. So we won't waste waste any time. We'll just dive right in um, and discuss the topic that we have today, um, which is around fostering success in engineering teams. I think um, it'd be good if I could start with Chris's question. Um, I think that leads in and opens the, the discussion quite nicely. Um, so I'll start with that. Um, so starting with a question from Chris today, uh, which was, what are the key principles to focus on when fostering success in engineering teams?
1: Okay, I suppose, um, I suppose since this is my question to the panel, I probably should, should, should kick off. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so I think um, the first thing that we'd, we'd say very much so is take a team-first approach. So, um, you know, really focus on improving um, trust and psychological safety because these are, are really super important for highly successful, high-performing teams. Um, and also work on improving the team dynamics and their interactions. So and this you know is especially important when you're remote uh, or if you're not always together, um, you know as we are in this sort of more hybrid world that we live in. Um, so so setting up those those team dynamics, taking that team first approach, you're really really focusing on the team is 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 hyper um, And and part of that I'd say is is setting up the foundations for collaboration. So. And there are two foundations for collaboration. They are, they are um, having a real shared understanding across the team about the problem they're trying to solve, and um, you know spending more time than you probably feel necessary there because getting that shared understanding, which isn't alignment by the way, but uh, a shared understanding of the problem is really really critical. And also spend time on uh, the why. Why why are we actually solving this problem? Uh, so so what you're really doing is you're building purpose. And the outcomes that you're you're looking to solve, so uh, looking to drive. Um, so you know, I mean, as, as Einstein said, if I've got a problem to, I've got an hour to solve a problem. I'll spend fifty-five minutes on the on the uh, prob- uh, understanding the problem, the five minutes on the solution. And I think we forget that a lot in IT. Actually, I think we we, we dive into solutions far far too quickly. Um, and if you have those, those are the foundations for for collaboration. Why? Because if you're really truly focused on the outcome and uh, you also know, you know you've, you're, you're purpose-driven, then um, what you see is that nobody cares whose idea it is that you take forward. And so that's, that's, what, that, that's really like that basis for collaboration. Um, and other things I'd say around the sort of taking a team-first approach is really sort of producing the cognitive load and, uh, on that team wherever you can, uh, sort of focusing on you know, and, and having weekly things that you're putting in to reduce that cognitive load. And um, make sure there's a degree of slack within their work. So if you're fully allocated, then you're not going to be innovating. You're not going to be able to take on the inevitable unplanned work that kind of comes in. So that's first, I, say, I think first approach. Second, I'd say uh, take a um, be hypothesis led, uh, an outcome focused. You I mean, took a bit about outcome ago, but starting with questions like how might we? You know, if you whenever you're hitting a problem, how might we do whatever it is. Um, and getting a ca- building a cadence between idea and insight. So because, you know, we're working in the complex domain, right? We're going to have, we, you know, the, there's many different ways to solve this problem. So we need to sort of probe, sense, and respond that way forward. So getting that cadence between generating an idea, actually getting some insight, did it work? Is it in the right direction? And sort of pivoting back to like letting that inform your next ideas um, is really, you know, that's what we see high-performing teams doing um and, and and that's super important um i'd say use open practices like practices that cultivate transparency uh, inclusivity collaboration and adaptability um i'd say those are th- those are really really key accelerators that we see or sort of uh, multipliers if you like force multipliers that we see um in in high performing teams um and and in fact actually we we Identified this and has set up a, an open source community now. It's just, I think there's over 200 practices out there that of practices that we've used and sort of field tested and feel actually you know engender those those characteristics. And you can get those all on um, www.openpracticelibrary.com. So the Open Practice Library, you can you can join it, you can contribute to it, you can fork it, you can do whatever you want with it. It's an open open source community, so come and join us. Um, and the final thing I'd say is to over communicate and create connection between the team members. Again, it's kind of harking back to that kind of team first piece, but over communicating, making sure there is genuine understanding, uh, shared understanding between people, is really the key. Because what we often find is if we ask people the same question separately, they'll they'll have said they were they were they they had shared understanding, but one's really thinking of a circle, one's thinking of a square, and one's thinking of a star, right? So. So really, really over communicating there, and making sure that's there will allow you to go really, really super quick towards the solution.
0: That's great. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, I'd like to open it up to both Niraj and Mike, um, if you've got anything to add or perhaps to, to share some examples of, of how this can be done in, in practice. So uh, Mike, pass over to you.
3: Yeah, thanks. I'll start by reiterating a couple of things that Chris mentioned that I think are super important. So psychological safety, completely agree, it's massively important that you've got that environment where it's safe to learn from mistakes. Again, Chris mentioned we're building complex systems in complex domains. Things are going to go wrong, issues are going to happen. So it's vital that you've got that space where people can learn from those issues and can learn from those mistakes. Um, And as a leader, it's important that you're sort of fostering that environment where the teams feel they have got that safety. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about later on about things like how, how we learn from instance and post mortems, et cetera. There's plenty of practices there where, where you can foster that psychological safety. Um, and the other point to reiterate there is around um, like cross functional teams. So reducing the handoffs between teams, making sure teams are as independent as possible so they can move as fast as possible without having to rely on other teams or external dependencies is, is rightly important there as well. Um, think, and then, yeah, something else Chris mentioned actually was about sort of touching on the idea of. Favoring action over kind of indecision. So moving fast, shortening those feedback loops, you know, getting things into production as soon as possible and learning from them, kind of avoiding getting stuck to that analysis paralysis state, really, really important because again you can only really learn and adjust if you're sort of getting things in front of customers and getting that feedback as soon as possible. Um things I kind of mentioned towards building successful teams, I think on the hiring side of things, it's important when you're hiring people to focus first and foremost on alignment with your values and principles rather than sort of pure technical ability. You know, I always think you can, you can, teach the technical engineering side of things, what you can't necessarily teach is a, a good fit for your team and a good fit for your values. And so that's kind of really important to, to build that continuing success. And, um, and also praising the success in the teams as well, right? I mean, success breeds success if you like. So for example, we've got a, a Slack channel where we sort of shout out different members of our team that have done great things, call out that achievement, show the, people, show the people that are modeling success and modeling the right behaviors and really sort of call out and reinforce that is really, really important. And, and I think also measuring the right things as well. So again, back to that point about learning, you've got to make sure you're measuring the right things in the team as well. So that again, you can learn, and you can adjust going forwards. So again, I'm sure we'll touch on it a bit later, but things like the door and metrics are a great, great place to start. If you are an idea of the age you need to focus on to, to change your improve processes and just keeping success for you.
0: Yeah. Yep. Thank you very much, Mike. Um, and Neeraj, um, I'd like to pass over to you and, and ask whether there are some key principles that you focus on um, to foster success in, in your teams.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. So some really great points from you know, Chris and Mike. So things like shared understanding and collaboration. So when, when I see a team, so, you know, they, they need to have a clear purpose, a clear mission for, for that team to me. And I think shared understanding is really important, and that's where you know, team autonomy rather than manager autonomy you know comes into the picture that essentially teams come together and they define their team charter, their purpose, they contribute to it. So they understand it so well that they they actually you know kind of end up owning it rather than you know trying to understand what somebody else is saying. So that gives a sense of purpose and togetherness brings the team together definitely you know improve the culture of the team so i i would basically know for for defining any of these things i would go to the team with some open-ended question and let them brainstorm and just you know keeping them in in a right direction probably will be my role rather than trying to tell them what it should be and then i think we we talked about continuous improvement continuous learning mike mentioned some examples around for dora metric so we use e2e plm so we basically own the value stream which is which is really key that you know you build it ship it as well as run it so that kind of creates a very good feedback loop where you can re basically you you can come back Uh, Take your learning and insight and then improve on it and give basically a continuous, you know, value-based iteration to to our customers. And psychological safety, absolutely. I think, you know, this is really, really key, you know, especially uh, when we are working so much, you know, uh, heavily outside of the office. Uh, so it's really important to make sure that you know pe- when people are bringing up with any suggestions so anything which is coming in the retro for example so we we need to make sure that you know everything which is raised is addressed and discussed and brainstormed rather basically nothing is stupid idea right so i guess you know yeah if you know we have some of these things definitely not that kind of you know is helpful team autonomy is really really key for me you know when when you have team making the decision how they are going to build it how they are going to you know solutionize it or even if their ways of working how they are going to you know work from the flexibility point of view or or anything so that's Basically, that brings to a place in you know, where team is kind of become becoming the driving factor rather than we trying to tell them you know what to do. And yeah, fo- they, then I think you know as a team, if, if we focus on goals and as a manager, if we make sure that there are some small measurable you know goals which are there for the team which they can you know meet and reiterate on it, and that that kind of you know kind of uh, helps us bring the best out of the team.
0: Yeah, thank thank you, Neeraj. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, say, you know, as you say, to, uh,
1: Neeraj just talked about team autonomy. Um, I think that's a great callout. Um, I kind of sometimes I forget how we work because we you know we have we are so steeped in, the, in in that. But actually, a lot of organisations really don't have that team autonomy and having those that sort of outcomes and and purpose. And um, being a, be, actually having the, the the license to go and um, work on that is 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 super super important. So that's a that's a, that's a brilliant call out. And I also loved uh, what Mike talked about with praise. Um, I really love that. Um, one of the things I found when I when I joined Red Hat was actually, um, people praised people just out of the blue for something that was done. And in my previous company, it was always you know any kind of uh, should we call it feedback. Was, was all for like mistakes or or for or people think thought that things weren't quite great and actually it's really really important to call out and just say hey you know you did a great job there or or I, I love this or I love this bit about it and it, and actually it, it's really simple but it really helps build psychological safety and um, as long as it's come from a genuine place of course but um, you know it it, it, it it's a, it, they're both really good call outs and um, for, for that I, yeah big fan of those two
0: fantastic thanks. Um, I I thought that um, that leads us on quite nicely to um, potentially some of the challenges that are faced in in trying to do this, in trying to implement these practices to foster success, um, particularly when we're dealing with teams who are remote. So I'd just like to open the question, how do we ensure success um, in remote and distributed teams? Niraj, would you, would you like to give us your perspective?
2: Right. So when I think about this, right, so I, I think about primarily three challenges, you know, coming when, when we moved to COVID, you know, that changed the whole perspective. I guess if, if I think about pre-COVID, so being remote, I think there were three challenges. So one from employer point of view. to to ensure that employer has a trust, that employee will do the job when they are working from home. Second was around the employee insecurity, even if organizations said you can work two days from home. I guess when people were working from home, they were a little bit insecure whether they are doing good enough work. And then third is around because everybody was based in office, so most of the teams were more aligned to work hours rather than goals. So these are, you know, primarily three challenges. And when when we hit COVID, everything came to standstill. Everything, everybody was locked down in in their houses, and eventually, everybody was putting a hell lot of effort to to do basically what they were doing. And people didn't really have a lot of personal lives. Outside of the work, they spent a lot of, lot of hours and lot of effort, which meant you know every employer, uh, at least you know pe- employer I have heard of, so the stats were basically through the roof when it came to productivity, and everybody was really happy, and everything was addressed. As soon as things started to open up again, then we saw that. You know, concerns coming back from employer that productivity was going down. So one, the expectation was going up. But at the same time, we didn't really address what was needed to be addressed if you want to work remotely, you know, which is the other two bits which we talked about. So employee insecurity. So how do you address that? You know, first of all, maybe even before you do that, you know, we, we probably need to look at how we change from work hours to goals. You know having a very clear set of goals for for our engineers, you know or maybe okrs. Uh, so you can you know iterate on them and make sure you know they they are they can be measured correctly, right? So everybody is aligned to that, you know, and then there is probably a little bit around the hiring piece as well that when you go in the market and you know, try to assess people on, whether they can manage themselves rather than you know somebody else is trying to tell them what what they need to do so and then from there i think you know we move on to you know how we make sure that employees are not feeling insecure uh, you know through regular one-to-one sessions with them you know and then maybe stand-ups where we see you know how we are progressing and can we do something differently or, or anybody need any support? But then I also do, you know, some random check-ins. So rather than trying to wait for a one-to-one session. So if if I see from somebody's behavior that, you know, something doesn't look right, then I go to the person and ask him, is everything okay? Is there anything you want to discuss with me? And if somebody is doing a great job, then I... Add, i try to make sure that i speak to them as well uh, you know i just give a random call uh, can we catch up you know five minutes let's speak and basically speaking to them and telling them what what uh, good job they are doing etc and then i i guess you know anyway agile provides us things like retro it's really brilliant you know you you basically you know come that as a checkpoint See what you have done, what you have done well, and then what you can improve on, etc. So, you essentially, you know, these are the cha- you know, things in which provide you uh, methods for various communication. And when you have the right communication level, then I think, you know, that insecurity eventually goes away uh, alongside absolutely, you know, the clear, measurable things, you know, which, which they are responsible for and they know what they need to do so yeah that's
3: what what do you guys think yeah i think you made some really great points then i think there's there's two in particular so i really love the idea about trust and um, i think that's really important there, there are plenty of leaders and managers that think if, if i can't see my people in the office i don't know what they're up to but you've got to sort of trust you know you've hired in a team of intelligent people to be doing the right thing you've got to trust them to do that and it ties in with something else i think it's obviously a great point about focusing on outcomes not on working hours completely agree you know i think if we have learned one thing the last few years is that flexible working hours can, can actually be really effective. You don't have to work nine to five. You can still get things done around you sort of home life, doing the school run, et cetera. So those two things are really important. Um, Tying in with that as well, in, ensuring that your team is maintaining a sort of suitable work life balance, you touched on that as well. And it can be very difficult to sort of distinguish between work life and home life sometimes if you're in a home office and you know it's difficult to sort of make that separation. You can find yourself working into the evening, I know I've done that a few times. So, making sure you're checking in with your team, like you said, and that they're maintaining that work life balance. I think other practical points, so having the right sort of tooling in place is important for this remote working as well. So, things like Tooling for collaboration, so things like Slack, for example, to make sure the team can sort of stay connected remotely from wherever they are. Um, our teams do a lot of pair programming as well, so we use things like uh, VS Code Live Share, so we can do sort of remote pair programming in the same IDE. There's plenty of other tools in that sort of space as well that mean we can be really effective. And then other tools like you know virtual whiteboards to make sure you can collaborate around some architecture, designs, virtual post-it notes, etc., all that stuff that you used to be able to do in person. Make sure you've got the right tooling to be able to sort of do that remotely as well really important and uh, basically yeah, just, just having that sort of remote first mindset so documenting everything writing everything down keeping a record of it in wikis and documentation etc can is really really important to make sure people who can't be part of a discussion in an office can make sure they can catch up on the detail later on and in, in documentation and wiki pages is also important i think
1: yeah i love that actually um that that whole kind of recognizing that the interaction is going to be asynchronous um it, you know many many occasions i think is is super important, um, and one of the things that's um, you know, one of the practices we use uh, um, all the time is social contracts uh, and things like core hours. Uh, so we, we did a um, we ran uh, an engagement with um, w- with the World Health Organization it, during COVID. So and it was purely remote. So most of these people had never actually worked; uh, they, they hadn't even been inducted to there. The, there the, was a new job for them; they hadn't even been inducted into the World Health Organization. And they were all planned to move to France and then COVID happened. And obviously uh, they, were, they were quite busy as well. Uh, so, um, and, and, you know, we ended up with a situation where we had 16 people over nine different countries and five different time zones. And so one of the things in our social contract was like core hours, like, when are we going to be on? When can you rely on me to be in the, uh, you know, contactable uh, for pair programming, for, um you know, um, trying to solve, you know, get our heads together, or or maybe mob around a problem. Mob to learn, pair to build is, is one of our mantras, and and sort of being able to do that, you you need to be able to rely on that so you can organize yourself effectively in that kind of more asynchronous world, and having that kind of over communication, um, mainly through visualizing the work that we're doing, what we're doing. You we use a lot of visual practices. Um, for which we use sort of Miro, and, and you know, or, or you know, we primarily use Miro, but you know you can use Miro, Mural or other whiteboarding um, tools. But being able to sort of visualize what we do um, really, really helps over communicate and ensure all that kind of asynchronous uh, aspect. So, um, so, yeah, so I really love that. I mean, I think in, getting back to the question of sort of ensuring success in remote teams, I think first it depends on the target outcomes you have. So, what does success look like, and being sort of really, really clear on that as a group. So that comes back to that kind of what are what, what what's the, what the outcomes we're looking to drive? How are we measuring that? You know, some of the stuff we talked about before. But uh, um, ideally, um, starting together if at all possible. So if you can get together for a face to face for like a week or two as a team, and then move to remote, you, you're you're um your speed and your success and the bonding of the team goes through the roof in comparison to just being purely remote it is possible purely remote we proved it we proved it with the who much to our own surprise um but um but it, it takes a huge amount of effort to do, do um and, it, and it's certainly not not a preference for us um we find that getting together for a week or two building that shared understanding building that connection uh, that you need and kind of going through that kind of, you know, I think it's a Cooper ross curve, you know, the sort of storming, forming, norming, performing, um, and, and kind of getting into that, I think is is really key. Um, you know, cross-functional teams, I mentioned earlier, I think also long-lived teams are really important because as soon as you take a personnel or you add a different person in or whatever, you're back to that storming phase. And that's where you got you kind of got to go back to your social contracts and so on. So I think um, a lot of these practices as well, remember that they're adapted, right? So they're, it's not something that you do once and then that's it. You, know, you check in with those things regularly. We, is our social contract still all right? Has something happened in the meantime that we want to add something? We'll take something off there. You know, find, find that's really important. Um, definition of done, definition of ready, um, like I say, visualization of work. The, these are really great practices that we, um, that we use, and they're in our a sort of a foundation, um, a social, a sort of cultural foundation of, of what we do. Um, other things are great, like mood marbles. I don't, I don't know if any of you have used mood marbles, but we we can kind of we, we can do that virtually. you know, we just have um, a basket in the corner of the board, and people whenever they want to, who can change that from red to green, from green to red or red to green um, to kind of just indicate where they are. And so you know, if you're if you're leading that engagement or if you're you know you're um leaving that team and you're seeing some reds pop into there, then you know there was near said, Go and check in with the team. Like, you know, make sure you're doing that um, that regularly and kind of understanding where that's coming from and, and sort of surface that sentiment. Because it's a great way of safely indicating that there may be some problems there and maybe some challenges. And it may be because, like I said, you know, their, their work life balance is out or, you know, they've got some other problems or whatever that's that's kind of coming on, and we need to be empathetic towards that and, and sort of really support each other in that. Um Another thing that we had was like a team space, which we felt really, really great. So you could add in like, what am I reading? What, what did I watch, watch last night? Or, you know, um, where, do I, where am I going to go on a holiday after the pandemic? <laughs> it was one of them, <laughs> and, you know, it was the first thing I'm going to go. So all these things and it helps build that connection because people go, oh, oh yeah, I've been there or, oh yeah, that was great. I, I really enjoyed that or, oh, you, you know, you can kind of get into that and you start to build those connections and those connections are so critical to to sort of team identity and, and, and and feeling part of that, especially when you're, you know, you're sort of, um, in your own, in your own home, I uh, I guess, and, and recognizing that that's actually, you're invite you know, these people are inviting you into their own home by having their camera on and and all all the craziness that goes on with that, you know, children running in and whatever, whatever else that, that, that kind of goes ahead. So I think, um, I think, I think those are, um, those are really key. I'd also say from a leadership point of view, if we like stepping out from the from the team and maybe kind of looking more at a, how do we do this successfully as an organization, I think um, what we saw in the pandemic was there were actually a lot of really brittle organizations. They, they, they couldn't pivot, they couldn't change, they couldn't adapt to what was going on or they they really lost ground. And, and, the, and the companies that were like that were the ones that were focused on the bottom line. It was all about cost. It was all about um, it, you know, it was all, all at that end. So focusing on the top line, looking at the value you're creating and focusing on the outcome, uh, creating Slack for people to, to learn and adapt and, and, and kind of come to terms with what's going on, um, help keep a clear vision for what, what we're trying to do here. And again, it's around that purpose. And a big thing is being able to ask smart questions. And this is where the, the kind of visual practices really help. So what we see is a lot of the time you've got leaders who feel they can't really talk with their engineering teams because they feel like they're talking a different language, and and in, if you're in that situation, all you're left with is, is a whip, you know, go faster, do more with less. Why isn't it done yet, right? And and that's really just not productive. It's not it's not it's not helpful in any way, shape or form, really. So trying to reduce this kind of communication gradient is re- really important. And visual practices are really helpful for that because. Somebody can come along and say, look at an impact map and say, okay, yeah, that's the goal we're going after. Yeah, those are the people that, or the groups that are, are involved in that, and that's the impact we want to have on them. And you think if we build that, that that's going to work, right? You know, lovely hypothesis, but you've got this problem here because we've got a regulation that means you can't do that, or whatever that is, right? Being able to ask smart questions, raise, uh, you know, surface assumptions, all of those sorts of things really, really help engagement and help get support from your leadership um, and enable them to help you kind of get through those problems rather than just say, why isn't it done yet? Go faster. So I think, and all of that builds trust and psychological safety. Um, and, um, you know, as it's been said a number of times so far, it's already critical. So, yeah.
0: Thanks very much, Chris. Um, and thanks everyone for sharing some great insights and, and tips for success. Um, but I'm also interested to hear about when things maybe don't go so well, um, and how potentially we could use failures as, as an opportunity for learning.
3: Yeah. So I think that this comes back to what I was talking about before. I briefly talked talk about post-mortem before when I was talking about psychological safety, I think they're, they're critical, right? So if there is an incident in production, which is your classic example of a failure, um, holding a post-mortem is really, really important after that. Um, and it goes right back to the start of the incident. So making sure you've got a solid incident management process that you're maintaining a, a log of actions and decisions during the incident, so you've got something to refer back to. Make sure you're doing that in real time to make sure you don't have to sort of recap and remember things later. And then, yeah, well, once the incident's concluded, holding that post-mortem as a team, again, having a real open, collaborative discussion, psychological safety is massively important at that point because you're trying to make sure you're avoiding blaming any individual, right? Even if someone wanted to sort of Finger a command somewhere, it's still fundamentally a, a system or a process problem that's led to the issue in the first place. So, avoiding personal blame there is massively important because fundamentally that's how we encourage people in our teams to talk openly about things that went wrong. The only way we can learn from mistakes is by being open and honest about what actually happened in the first place. And you've got to make sure that you're, you're sort of fostering that culture. And I think, again, as, as a leader in that space, it means things like um protecting the team from people that do want to find blame somewhere. So, there's numerous examples that I've experienced over the years about stakeholders and directors saying you know wants to point the finger at someone wants to know who made a mistake who can i go and shout at? who do i need to sack and your role as a leader there is about protecting the team from those sort of people and then you can just sort of really advocating for that culture of psychological safety so there's a the biggest fan Come back to you and any kind of failure is making sure you're reviewing it afterwards being really open and transparent and then crucially tracking the actions that come out of that as well right? it's all well and good talking about stuff but you've got to make sure you're then acting on the things that you learn whether that's improving monitoring in your system or Adding some more testing, etc., etc., or sort of stuff. Make sure you sort of follow up on those actions as well afterwards.
0: Thanks very much, Mike, um, Chris, uh, Niraj? I,
1: I I love that um, fat fingering command. Uh, I haven't heard that before, but that's a uh, that's a wonderful phrase, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pinch that. Um, uh, it also reminded me of um of, of the kind of culture that comes around with actually uh, increasing tolerance or failure. Um, I think. I think it's important to sort of talk about what we mean by failures. So, you know, the way that we see it is everything's an experiment. You know, there's a hypothesis that you're testing. You're trying to, you, you've got that idea. You're trying to get to insight because like I say, it's not, it's not known engineering thing as such. Um, yeah, we, we are, we're, we're in a complex domain. Um, we're, and we, we're trying to probe attempts and respond our way to actually, you know, getting to a solution. So rather than a failure, I, you know, it's, it's very much insight, you know, you're gain you're, you're learning something uh, during that. And I think if, if we frame it in that way and we actually think of it in that way, then, um, you see those organizations actually, yeah, you know, as they, in, they increase their tolerance for failure uh, or so-called failure. So, because that they, they recognize that it's helping them move forward because often you end up saying it's, you know, it's competition. Is is it, uh, or should we go for option A or option B and actually it doesn't matter because it was probably option C, but you would never have found that out until you actually got some insight. So, um, uh, you know you can move forward but i think with the the organizations that, that see that uh, um increase in tolerance for failure they also have a decrease in tolerance for incompetence and so those two things kind of like come along so you know fat fingering a command uh, as we is, uh, <laughs> that's what i would say is um is, is one thing if you're regularly fat fingering a command that becomes that's a problem so um you know that you, you've got to kind of see this. Um, it's like a, you know, a bit of a seesaw. You know, we can increase we can increase that tolerance for failure, but we're lowering our tolerance for, in, um, for, for incompetence within that. And that has to be done in that psychologically safe way, right. So it's you know it's like how you manage that is critical to maintaining that psychological safety because um, it, psychological safety is really hard to build. Right? It takes time. It takes a lot of effort. It's, it takes a concentrated, purposeful effort to do that. But losing it is really easy. <laughs> it's really super easy to do that so um i think thinking about things like um you've yeah, being clear as in prioritizing rewarding and celebrating so um uh yeah, around failure so um calling out in a retro as mike talks about um, you know talk about postmortems i we actually really like pre mortems as well we do a lot of work up front again that's kind of like shared understanding of the problem it's like how could this fail like if we we fast forward six months, what's failure going to look like and why would it have happened? What could have you know what could have got in that way? And that allows you to de-risk things up front. And so whilst some people might feel it's a bit fluffy or it's a bit kind of, you know, you seem to just be messing around with stickies all the time, actually you your 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 chances of building the right thing and your chances of success like go through the roof as a result. And so they go those teams go much, much faster. Um things like um you also talked about prioritizing learning, so I like, um, like I say, prioritizing it is really important. So saying like this is important, we we're looking for it, and, and rewarding it, and and celebrating it when it's there. Um, you know, we use um, we often have a skills matrix um for people, so they can sort of say, yeah, do you know actually I feel like I've moved up there, or you know, where do you feel you are right now, um, and what what would what would you need to change to get to get to the next level? And we prioritize that. We you know, we put it in the backlog. Sometimes we. We kind of we, we genuinely make a point of saying this is important and you know it's expected within the team and it becomes part of the team's culture. And um, there, so um, so yeah, so and again, you know, I'm always going to talk about this platform for collaboration, you know, that purpose and and, and having that that out those outcomes, uh, um, uh, you know, understanding of the outcome, um, that that allows you to frame everything as an experiment, see it as insight. And increase that tolerance for failure and um, which is ultimately going to let you go quicker so um yeah that's, i guess those are really my thoughts on on this subject
0: thank you chris uh, neeraj have you got um anything you'd like to add
2: yeah absolutely so i i think you know i love the fact you know where, where you know chris talked about basically the difference between the f- basically accepting failure and learning from it versus you know promoting incompetence <laughs> so I guess that 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 clear difference need to be, you know, very well understood. So when it comes to, you know, failure, uh, I don't really see anything as a failure. Now it's probably, you know, celebrating your success to do it more, but celebrating your failures to learn from it. So you, you can eventually succeed. Right. So looking at the strategic goal or your ultimate, you know, long-term goal and how it's, it's basically, you know, one of the iteration to achieve it. But definitely, you know, we, and I have absolutely seen, you know, pretty much similar to what Mike said. You know, we end up at, at some time, you know, uh, blaming the process or the other team when we get into the post-mortem. And that's where, you know, it's a really important to keep the direction around learning from those mistakes and how we can improve in future. So, so continuous improvement absolutely key in this space and and that mindset absolutely need to be there uh, across the team but having said that you know it's uh, at the same time it's really important to make sure that you know people do not feel that it's you know they will be able to get away for not doing the things right so I think uh, this is really important to identify those elements and you know go through the usual performance management, which can definitely be a pain for the manager to follow through. But it's really important to keep the motivation level high for the rest of the team who is really trying to you know, work hard to achieve the team goals. So I guess you know keep, keeping a tap on these two things it's really important. But from the experimentation point of view, you know, creating that safe environment where we basically having some space, like you know Chris mentioned, you know, increased tolerance. So essentially having some time for people to experiment and innovate, so they they could you know try out probably a new technology which which probably you know will be fit the team well. Again. With team autonomy, you know, where the entire team brainstorm and think about, you know, whether this is the right thing to do or not. And then from learning, I think, you know, there, there were points mentioned around the continuous learning. So they, this is something we ensure. We, we do have, you know, some dedicated personal development time for all of our engineers so where they can go and learn about anything new but what I usually say to my team is that, you know, keep your learning focused to, you know, what you can experiment in the team. Because if they are aligned, you know, you, you because as soon as you go out to learn something new, software engineering is such a vast space. Then, you know, people eventually get lost because there are so many new and shiny and modern things out there which you can go and learn about. So it's really important to make sure that, you know, you are aligning this with what you can practice as well and eventually contribute to the team and maybe, you know, do something new for the team and, you know, develop as a team. So th- this is really, really important. So I think, you know, continuous improvement, continuous learning plays a significant role to define how you even deal with your failures eventually.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think I, I, just building on that, I think... Um... You know, key thing what sort of Bill and one of the things you said earlier is, is is around sort of communicating. I think um don't hide it. Don't hide your failures either. Right? You like celebrate them. And I know that sounds for some people that will sound a bit strange, but what you got to remember is that stories change the world, right? So when your team tells their story, when they sort of they effectively give their hero's journey, you know, this is what we did, and then actually this happened, but we learned this and whatever. When they when they kind of tell about they they, they explain or they sort of. You know, um, share the, the, those failures. It helps build psychological safety that it was okay to like kind of get down there. And really, what you're doing is you're you're that you know you've collected that insight. You've collected those metrics that have told you whether you were going in the right direction. And that then informs your next experiments. Your experiments are delivered through practices. And if we take if we take a very simple definition of culture as being um, the way things are done around here. If you change your practices and you you, you know, use the right kind of practices, then that's what will create your culture, right? Because it's the way you're doing things. So, and and if you can improve, uh, um, you know, what we see a lot of the time is like cultural barriers to transformation or to, to kind of like real sort of change within an organization, and that culture will really unlock that. So if you are being more transparent, more inclusive, more collaborative, more adaptive, then you'll see that come through in the culture and that will really unlock new potential within the organization so really not not hiding that celebrating telling those stories those stories will allow other people to get on board and say hey yeah I'd like to work that way or yeah we should we should look into that technology as as as, as for that uh, you know for the for this to solve this problem we should do xyz you know there's lunch and learn sessions there's kind of communication out you know even down to like kind of Sprint reports or things like that that can kind of come out. These are all tools that you can use to engender change across an organization if that's what you're looking to do. So, you know, again, trying to look at the kind of split between that difference of um, the team, which we've spoken a lot of, what can you do if you're in a team, but actually stepping back and looking at the organization, you know, these are are how you can use these things really to, to your advantage. And use them to build that psychological safety rather than than destroy it and sorry just just in case anyone's listening to this thinking what's this psychological safety all about (laughs) so you know this really you comes out of project aristotle you know uh, dr amy edmondson uh, at, at google looked into like what's the what's the you know what were the differentiators between the high and low performing teams within the organization and the number one thing that kept coming back was psychological safety. So, um, you know, if, if you want to dive in more into this, then um, uh, Tom Geraghty has a really good um, weekly newsletter um, uh, around this. So if you just search, search up his name or uh, psychological safety newsletter or something like that, I'm sure it will come up on the on the web. Um, but, yeah, if you want to get more into that, or want to understand more about it, then um, that's it. I'm just conscious we've been using terms that people might not be familiar
2: with. I, I Listen to
0: no, good, 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 idea to to cover them off. Thanks, Chris.
2: And it's interesting because you know a number of times you see, you you hear things. You know the organizational culture is this, but this team culture is this. You know you you kind of you know have a lot of variation between a team and organization and as a general. So it it comes to certain leaders, you know, who create very different environment and different culture and some leader create that safe environment for team to know learn and grow and experiment and whatnot and when when you go out with you know things like you know happiness survey or the employee satisfaction survey and things like that so they they, there is always an exceptional team you know who score really really high when you compare with the overall organization and these are not Definitely, psychological safety is something which which probably play the you know most significant role in the, in that team.
1: Yeah, there's culture pockets, isn't it? You get these sort of pockets of great culture, um, and and I think also you know I guess somebody listening to this thinking, well, you know, I, I can. This sounds good. It sounds like this utopia that we want to get towards or we want to adopt some of these things, but I'm not really you know sure how to how to kind of get started and stuff. I think the one thing I would say is that. If you're trying to convince the whole organizations to change, then you, you're not going to do it through words. You simply won't. So you have to get into actually having some sort of proof. And those culture pockets are really great sources of proof. Or, or if you want to sort of say, well, we actually, we do, we recognize we need to do things differently to be more successful within the context that we're now working. um, You need to go and run that experiment. Like do something small but significant so it can't be dismissed as just like, well, yeah, but it's not complex over there or... Or you know, well, it that doesn't apply to us. You know, it's got to be something significant. But running some kind of experiment where you actually take a small amount of time, provide that proof point, and then uh, use that as the basis to move forward by telling the stories, by 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 um by by doing that. I think that that's that's a place I would sort of say is worth considering if you're looking more at the organizational level and if you're looking more at the kind of the team level, then mentioned before like the library, uh, com, so you can just kind of go there and just just go and pick a couple of practices out of the cultural foundation layer and you know there's a number that we've mentioned today um or been sort of talked about those are the sorts of things that you can kind of go and do now with your team and experiment something like you know 20 minutes half an hour like a social contract see the impact see whether it makes a difference within your team if it does cool keep going right bring in some more so, um, so yeah. So, I, th- I think making sure that we we leave listeners with some useful things that they can take away and actually do something with. I'd, I'd say that that that'd probably be my conclusion.
0: Yeah, thank thank you, Chris. Um, Mike near us, do you have any um, anything to add to that, or anything that we maybe haven't covered that you'd like to to bring up as as a point in itself? Um, let's just use the last the last few minutes to to do so.
3: Yeah, I think that the important the thing that Chris mentioned there about. Um, trying to transform a culture and then those culture pockets. I think it's important to sort of make sure that you're in that culture pocket, that you, you are open to sharing and being collaborative about it. It's tempting to sometimes feel like you're a bit sort of better than the rest of the organization, but to get a bit big headed about it, but it's important to try and bring the rest of the company on that journey with you. Again, not all in one go, but bit by bit, like I said, sharing the stories, sharing those post-mortem reports bringing people on the journey, involving people in the post mortems. We've done that a few times. We've got sort of directors and senior stakeholders into the postmortems to see that and and, and yeah, be collaborative about it, not sort of we're about the new our scores about the new, cetera, Make sure you it in the right way
1: Yeah, that, that's the really good point, Mike. Totally. Cause you that whole thing about um you yeah, know it, it can create things you're saying this is what we're doing rather than this is how you do it. I think is 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 really key. Because as you say, you, you it's very quick for people to you know, whether it's jealousy or whether it's like, you know, feeling you know, resentment against like that they are not able to do that or, or work that way because they've got, you know, a different you know, boss or whatever in that case or whatever that is. I think, you know, you're totally right. You know, just share what you do, share what you're doing just openly and without prejudice, without judgment
3: makes um, a big difference.
2: yeah and and I, i think you know it's really important that we accept you know if something is not right as well you know as as leader it's really important to kind of understand you know what is going right but at the same time what is not so right and maybe a 360 degree feedback especially the feedback from your team you know is really helpful so learning you know what you could do better. And then definitely collaboration is the key. Probably Mike, Chris, both of you have mentioned this. So making sure that if there is something which you probably can't solutionize, you know, (laughs) how to improve, eventually now going to your fellow leader in the organization and maybe, you know, talking to them and asking simple question, how do they handle it? How do they work with it? And how do they solve that problem? So that, that can be you know, quite interesting and I, I have found that people come up with very interesting and very simple solution at times which we think, oh, you know, that that is that is really simple and straightforward. <laughs> you know, I couldn't think that. So yeah, it's really important that, you know, we have those channels open. We we ask questions and yeah, you know, try to improve basically, you know, wherever, wherever we can.
1: Yeah, t- totally. And I think it's been to your first point in there as well around sort of like, you know, making improvements and, you know, Mike, you talked about retros earlier and so on, actually get it on the backlog. Like, there's nothing worse. There, There's nothing more disengaging than retros or kind of feedback sessions that lead to no change. So, So, like gets just take even if it's just one thing get it on the backlog show show progress towards it again you're gonna you're gonna then surface up the right questions and write the right chat you know the right uh, changes to make. so yeah I'd love to put that Niraj. Yeah.
0: perfect thank you. before we end the podcast I'd like to say a big thank you to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. for the listeners once again our guests on today's podcast have been Niraj goyal Mike Scaife and Chris Bainham-Hughes. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message. I'm Rose Byrne, that's B-Y-R-N-E, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at rose.byrne at or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK. Thanks again to all of our guests, and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.